0: Almost 40 years ago, when I was still in Reading, I became very sick. I had an extremely high fever, a cough, headaches, nausea, joint pain. I went to a doctor and he immediately put me on a strong course of antibiotics, but I still wasn't getting any better. I was then sent to a specialist And the specialist said something to me that made an awful lot of sense, and he said, we're not just going to treat your symptoms. He said, we need to find what is the root of the illness. So I wasn't just going to treat the headaches and the cough and the the high fever, but he said, we need to get to the root of your, your sickness. So I was admitted to the Reading Hospital and went through a great number of tests to find out what really was wrong with me. More about that later. But what I want us to think about this morning is that we live in a pretty sick world. And the symptoms of that sickness are pretty profound. But it's important that we don't just treat the symptoms, but we understand what the real cause of the problem is. And so this morning, I want us to to work our way through 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to be dealing with this whole section, but just some small parts. And tonight I'm going to continue with some of the details out of this particular portion of Scripture that I'm not going to be able to get to this morning. But I begin by looking at this aspect that we live in a really sick world. The condition is quite serious. In 2 Timothy three one, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Watching, reading, or listening to the news can be quite depressing. I don't know if you followed the story this week of that Turpin family, uh, family in California, mother, father, and 13 children, and the way in which those parents first began by neglecting their children to the point of abusing their children to the ultimate reality of, in a horrific way, of torturing their children. Their children ranged in ages from 2 to 29 years of age. These uh, children were neglected. They were beaten. They were only fed a ration of food a day. Uh, The 29 year old, when discovered, was 86 pounds. Uh, The 17 year old looked like an 8 year old. They uh, would be cruelly treated. The parents would buy pies, apple pie, pumpkin pie, and all kinds of desserts and lay them on the counter. And the children were not allowed to eat any of them. They were chained to their beds, many times not unchained to go to the bathroom and uh, had to live in this thesis, And the story gets worse and worse and worse as the years went on. And it's easy to sit and just kind of scratch your head and say, what in the world is going on? Why are these things happening? How is it that a person in Las Vegas just decides to shoot and murder 50 six people, and injured an additional 500 more. The headlines are filled with heartache and misery. It tells us in this verse, in verse one, that difficult times are going to come. This word that is translated in ESV as difficulty is a very hard word to translate for it has quite a range of meanings. All of them are not good. But they are, as I say, a large range of meanings. And so let me just list, to give you an example, of the way in which different translations translate this particular verse. Uh, As I said, ESV says difficulty, meaning hard times. The King James says, this knows also in the last days, perilous times will come, dangerous times. The NIV translates it, Uh, terrible times. The NRSV translates it distressing times. That is disheartening, unsettling, worrisome times. The New American Bible translates it as terrifying times, frightening, horrifying, appalling. And the New Century Version Translates it as this, remember in the last days there will be many troubles, miseries, heartaches, unpleasantries. The point is, this is not good stuff. The environment that w- is not the environment that we want for our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our society at large. We can look around us and find all kinds of problems. Then we are given the symptoms of the problem, the contributing factors to the difficulty, dangerous, terrible, distressing, frightening, troublesome times in which we live. The symptoms, the examples of these things. In verses two, three, and four. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Most of these are a description not of the cause, but symptoms of the disease. Tonight, I'm going to look at that list in detail. I'm not going to do that this morning. But everyone can agree that these problems in our society are real and they are great, but what do we do about them? The temptation is to treat the symptoms rather than the disease. We blindly throw antibiotics at the problem, hoping that they will go away. Such things as society throws money at the problem, education, counseling, seminars, Some see the answer as youth centers, more stringent laws, penalties. Others see less stringent laws, less penalties. Some see it as, you know, how are you going to deal with the opioid uh, epidemic? Uh, some want to see people incarcerated. Some people want to see marijuana legalized. Some people want to see uh, that we do research and find uh, more pain-killing drugs that are less addictive. The answers are myriad in how to treat the symptoms but we need to ask ourselves, what is the real problem? It's essential that we deal with the disease, not just the symptoms. So back to my disease. What was the cause of my fever and joint pains and nausea and all that I was going through? Well, it was determined after a number of tests that I had spinal meningitis. But then, it had to be determined what kind of spinal meningitis I had, for there are two kinds. There's bacterial spinal meningitis, which means you get it from a bacteria. And there's viral spinal meningitis, which means it's a virus. It turns out that I had the viral kind. I had a virus. But what was the cause of that virus? Well, I was told that mosquitoes carry that virus, and that I had gotten this disease as a result of a mosquito bite. But that doesn't really answer the question, okay? Uh, Because mosquitoes bite us all the time and we don't always get spinal meningitis. So, So what is the cause, the real cause, the underlying cause, the ultimate cause, if you will, of this disease? The answer is it's the virus, it's the virus. As I said, it was ascertained that I had viral meningitis. So the antibiotics was no answer at all. It didn't take away any of the disease. In fact, it only complicated matters because I was on it such a long time, and on such high doses, I developed some problems from what was viewed as the antidote. It didn't help things, it only contributed to the problem. So too, as we try to treat the symptoms of what is happening in our country, many of the antidotes, many of the solutions are only actually attributing to the problem and not helping us to get better at all. So what's the problem? Well, it wouldn't surprise us as Christians that we'd say, what's wrong with our, our world? And we might say, well, we live in a fallen world. We live in a sick, sin-filled world. And that's a true and legitimate answer. But it's akin to saying, well, we have been bitten by a mosquito. We need a more definitive statement than that. To really develop a cure, we have to ask ourselves, but what is behind the fall? What caused the fall? What resulted from the fall? As we think about our societal issues, when we look at our passage, we find that there are two main causes that are put forth as a reason for all the other symptoms that are taking place. So there are two root issues. And they are, according to verse 2, it starts with the word for. It is a causal statement, a word. In 2 Timothy 2, back to give you the the context in uh, chapter 3... But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for reason. People will be lovers of self. And then if you look down at chapter 3, verse 4, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I submit to you this passage teaches us that there are two basic problems that we've got to deal with, two causes. People are lovers of themselves, And people love pleasure more than love God. And all these other things flow out of those two. All these other descriptions of the treacherous, the conceit, all flow out of loving ourselves and loving pleasure more than God. Now, at first glance, that seems like an incredibly simplistic answer. And uh, we might think of it as naive, But to really understand the answer, let us first go back to Matthew chapter 22. I invite you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 22. Starting with verse 34. Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that's Jesus... They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that is Jesus, a question to test him. They're not really looking for truth here. They, they wanted to stump Jesus, but they didn't stump it up at all. So they asked him the question, which they thought was tough. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Without hesitation, he said this. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, and on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, every other command of scripture, every other for bidding uh, decree, as well as every positive righteousness, comes out of this understanding of, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind might and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The lesser command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me begin by saying that does not mean that in order to love others, I must first learn to love myself. We won't find that anywhere in scripture, that's such a perversion, and uh, it's just the opposite of what this passage is saying. No, it means that I must not be self-centered, self-absorbed, or selfish. I must take other people's need and concerns into consideration. And if I fail to do that, it's going to create misery and heartache and all these other things. But, you know, we're talking about murder here. We're we're talking about all kinds of grave atrocities. And can we really see murder coming out of a failure to love my neighbor in the way in which I love myself and the answer is yes we can yes we can for a failure to love our neighbor may be as innocuous as being indifferent or apathetic to their particular concerns or needs it might be rudeness it might be being impolite It might be jipping in line. It might be putting ourselves before others that can bring a certain amount of consternation. uh, Wreck somebody's day, make somebody unhappy. But there's a long road from making somebody unhappy to the place of murdering them. But in reality, it's not all that far a road as we might think. two weeks ago, I believe it was, time flies for me, it might be two or three weeks, there was an article in USA Today. And in that article, there was an account of an individual who killed another individual over their sneakers. They took that person's life in order that they might have their sneakers. Now, as I thought about that, I thought, now, there is the ultimate selfish disregard for other people. That we love material things more than we love other people. That the degradation is such that I want what I want, and I want to please myself to the extent that I don't care how it affects other people. To the place that I can become so indifferent and so hard is... I would rather have those sneakers than for that person to have their life and to be willing to snuff them out. Well, I wanted to get the details of this particular event so that I could share them with you. (coughs) Because I hadn't uh, marked the particular uh, portion of USA Today where it came from. So I did a Google search on person killed over their shoes. I was amazed. I was having a hard time finding the article, because there were so many. Not so many articles on the same incident, but so many cases in which people were killed over their shoes. January 29, 2017, an 18-year-old Milwaukee man was shot over his Air Jordans. June 9th, 2017, a Detroit man, 20 years old, charged with murder over Air Jordans. November 8, 2016, 16-year-old boy was shot and killed over a dispute about his shoes on the west side of New York. December 23rd, 2017, a 17-year-old boy was killed over a pair of Air Jordans at the Douglas Community Center in Southeast Washington, and the list goes on and on and on. What I was amazed at, this one event I found was actually normative that there were literally dozens of people that had lost their lives over their shoes. Somebody shoots, stabs, kills them in order to get their sneakers. That is hard to imagine. That degree of failing to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That degree of, un, of selfishness. I'm going to say more about that tonight. But what I want to do is move to the second cause. And that is loving pleasure more than loving God. Okay, Loving pleasure more than loving God. It comes at the end of. Uh, verse four, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's a climax. It is the ultimate statement about this hardness. And again, there is a spectrum that flow out of loving pleasure more than loving God. There's, there is a degree of failing to love God and loving pleasure more. Some doesn't seem all that difficult or all that bad. Again, it seems rather innocuous. So let's begin by thinking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God had told the Israelites that they were to worship at the temple in Jerusalem and they should not offer their sacrifices anywhere else. However, habitually generation after generation in the land of Israel failed to follow that command and instead worshiped God in what is referred to as the high places, that is, the hill country outside of Jerusalem. Rather than going to the temple to offer their sacrifices, they went up into the hills, and went up into the the high areas in order to to, uh, offer their sacrifice. What was the motivation for that? Or at least one of the motivations. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Hosea. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Okay, Hosea, chapter 4. Hosea, chapter 4. We are on the topic of loving pleasure more than loving God. Hosea, chapter 4. Reading at verse 13. They, are you there with me? Most of you? Good, okay. We're at Hosea 4.13. If you're not there by now, just listen. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountain and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because, okay, here's the reason. Their shade is good. Their shade is good. It was pleasant. It was pleasant. It wasn't pleasant to worship in the temple. I can only imagine what it must have been like in that uh, far eastern climate where it is hot and dry, and then to have a temple worship where there are... Fires going and sacrifice and a lot of people. Can you imagine how hot it got in the temple? I imagine you'd stand there and sweat. And it was unpleasant. And the scripture says that they decided to worship in the high places because it was pleasant. Under trees. Where the wind would blow. Where there'd be some shade. And... It would be so much more comfortable. It was so much nicer to worship in the high places than it was to go to that temple that was so hot and that worship so burdensome. Notice the second half of the verse. Therefore, the because was Their shade is good. Therefore, because they worshipped in the high place, because the shade was good, therefore your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. What a leap that is. Okay? So, they worship in the high places because the shade is good. And because the shade is good, it says your daughters commit whoredom and your wives commit adultery. How do you get there? How do you move from the shade being good to that results in your daughters being whores and your bride committing adultery? Answer, because pleasure, seeking pleasure before God is always corrupting. Our love of pleasure rather than a love for God easily affects our attitudes, in response to worship. We need to understand that there was an escalation. As they worshipped under the trees, there had to be a perversion of the word because the Bible clearly taught them that they were to be worshipping in the temple. So they had to justify their being at that spot rather than being at the temple which meant the word had to be corrupted. And if the word was corrupted, as people gave in to their desires, whatever they may be, and decided that they were going to pursue them more than what they were going to pursue what the word of God said, it resulted in all kinds of behaviors up to committing adultery. And their wives uh, committing adultery and the, the uh, daughters going into adultery uh, it may not sound like a big deal, but I'd like us to think about the spectrum of loving pleasure more than loving God. For again, it is a spectrum. It, it starts off in a rather innocuous way and ends up in pretty horrific things. So for example, some of the innocuous, innocuous ways in which loving pleasure more than loving God. It might begin with something as simple as a desire to sleep in on Sunday morning rather than go to worship. That I'd rather just give in to that that pleasure of getting a little more rest and not having to bother of getting up and going and getting dressed and being at church. Why not just stay home? It might progress to, there are things I love to do on Sundays, hobbies, activities. And you know, the weekend is short and there's only so many limited opportunities. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with just enjoying myself on, on a Sunday. Why shouldn't I do these other activities? Why, why shouldn't I enjoy my hobbies? Certainly God would want me to be happy. God would want me to be cheerful. God would want me to be satisfied. And so, you know, I, I think I'm just going to engage my pleasures. And, you know, I find it desirable. I, I, I enjoy it. I, you know, I'm just going to do my hobbies. I'm going to do my activities. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. We might say, well, well, where does that lead to? What other contributing factors might we experience in loving pleasures more than loving God? If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 2, it says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Okay. Um, Tonight I'm going to look at the verse that says that the love of money is the root of all evil. That does not mean that it's the ultimate source of evil. The ultimate source is loving ourselves more than loving others and loving pleasure more than loving God. But when it says that the love of money is the root of all evil, it means that the love of money can result in every kind of evil imaginable. Okay, Because people love money, they may cheat. Because people love money, they may they may steal. Because cheap people love money, they may commit murder. Because people love money, they may become a harlot. Okay? For prostitution, they may sell themselves for money. Money can result in all kinds of evil under the face of the sun. Okay? And um, again, it might seem rather innocuous in the beginning. But what did lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, lead to in the Old Testament? Well, in the book of Haggai, the prophet is sent to the people, and God is displeased with the people because of their false worship, because of their worship in the high places. And because of their worship in the high places, eventually, temple worship is virtually abandoned. And as temple worship is abandoned, then Israel goes into more and more sins. And as they go into more and more sins, they run into more and more difficulties. And the nations come up against them. And the scripture says you can't serve God in money. Okay? You, you can't put your faith in, in God and you can't put your faith in money at the same time. So our money says in God we trust. <laughs> but I'm not so sure. So anyway... As nations came, they stripped the temple of gold in order to buy off the nations that were coming against them. And so they began to uh, sell the temple off, if you will. Well, in the book of Haggai, the temple is in ruins. And Haggai is sent to the people with these words, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? says to the people, Is it time for you to live in paneled houses? Is it time for you to live in luxury while this house lies in ruins? Loving of pleasure more than loving of God. Fast forward. New Testament. Our day, our era, do you tithe? Do you tithe? If not, why not? Is it because there's so much that you need, there's so much that you desire, you know, that after you spend on yourself, there's nothing left? I can't give because I have so many things that I'd rather do with my money. There are such better ways to spend my money than to give it to the church. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But there's a bigger issue at stake. And that is out of this lover of pleasure more than lover of God that we become indifferent to the effects that this has in our own lives. And I'm looking at the innocuous stuff. I haven't gotten to the hard stuff yet. That's more about tonight. But I'm just saying the subtleties of this where I don't have enough money so I can't, I can't tithe. I, I can't give it to the Lord. It says more than just about obeying or disobeying God's commands. It also shows a heart that is indifferent to others. It shows that I don't care if other people have to pay for what I enjoy. I don't care if other people are footing the bill so that I can enjoy worship. I'll just get a free ride. But more than that, it says I don't care about the limited resources that the church has. It's so much easier to just sing, build your kingdom here. (laughs) And I'm not against that song, I love that song. It's easy to sing about setting our hearts on fire. To talk about this supreme commitment, and yet be indifferent to the fact that, you know, if, if I would give and the church would have more resources, We could be reaching more people. We could send out more missionaries. We could have more ministries to people who are in need, the poor, the suffering. I just got an email last week uh, from uh, a ministry that the church gives to that uh, is a relief ministry, thanking us for uh, our donation. And how God is using that to to bring relief around the world. How much more can we do? And it's so easy to be apathetic to that. To be indifferent. And only think about what I enjoy. What I find pleasure in. What I delight in. What I like. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God seems so innocuous. It seems so unimportant. And yet, the scriptures teach that these two things, a lover of myself more than lovers of others, and a lover of pleasures more than lover of God explains what's wrong with this world. And so tonight, I want to come back and look at, then, practical ways in which those two commands help explain what's wrong with this world in which we live in. Why there's so much pain, why there's so much heartache, why there's so much arrogance, why there's so much conceit, why these days are terrible, difficult, miserable, dangerous... Days in which we live. In a few weeks, we're going to look at some of the answers the Bible gives to this particular situation. But before we look at the answers, I want us to thoroughly understand the disease. So that we might know what and how we can try to bring about changes. So that we don't just adopt the thinking of the world and try to deal with the symptoms and throwing all kinds of things at it that ultimately doesn't deal with this root problem of loving myself more than others and loving pleasure more than God. So we're going to look at more of the disease and then eventually we'll look at the cure. But I would ask us all to search our own hearts and minds and just ask ourselves this simple question how could my life be better less miserable less difficult less hard less dangerous etc in my own personal life how can my life be better if i love myself less and other people more if if i consciously put other people before myself, how would, how would that look in my life? What would it mean in my life if I learned to love God more and my pleasures? Yes. How might that affect my decisions? How might that affect my lifestyle? How might that affect my desires? How might that make this place such a nicer place to live? and maybe even how could the anxieties and difficulties of my life be lessened if I had really learned to love God more and my pleasures less. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us all. Help us to love others more and ourselves less. Help us to to be less less self-centered, less self-directed in this world that is filled with selfies and self-ambition. Lord, how, how can I be different than my society? As I live in a world that is just full of seeking pleasure. Lord, how my life might be different by seeking what you desire? And to see you as the object of my affections. To see you as the fulfillment of all joy and happiness and delight. Oh Lord, begin with us. Teach us the value of loving you more than pleasure. Of loving others more than self. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.